Thanks for listening. Learn more about our church and support by giving to the Mission of the Oaks at www.theoakscommunitychurch.org. Hear the word of the Lord. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday, the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he, he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we are now week two into our sermon series titled Believe, and um, we're looking at the seven signs in the book of John that the Apostle John has given us in his gospel that point to Jesus as the Messiah. John gives us these signs so that we would believe. Last week, we were in uh, chapter two where Jesus turned the water into wine. It was his first miracle. Uh, And he did this at a wedding feast. And Jesus was relatively unknown at that point in his ministry. But at this point in Jesus's ministry, here today where we're at in chapter four, word has begun to spread. Jesus is no longer kind of obscure. People are beginning to hear about him. Crowds are beginning to form. Uh, And that's because of what's happened That's kind of important between chapters 2 and where we're at today here in chapter 4. Jesus um, has, or John the Baptist, who is Jesus' cousin, has been going around kind of as a prophet proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, the Messiah is coming. Um, We know that Jesus has been traveling around in his ministry. He's he's been to Samaria. Um, He met with the woman at the well the Samaritan woman at the well. Um, Jesus has visited the temple and he's chased out the money changers. Um, And so religious leaders are beginning to hear about him. And one of them, even uh, between chapters two and chapter four, reached out to Jesus named Nicodemus. And so Jesus has met with Nicodemus in the middle of the night, kind of a covert uh, uh, meeting. And so news about Jesus has begun to spread. And that's important because of the way that people begin to approach Jesus and what they believe about him, as we'll see here in this text. And so Jesus has now gone back into Cana and Galilee where he had turned the water into wine, where he had done his first miracle. And so no doubt word has spread throughout all of that area. We know uh, because this man who lived about a two days journey away had heard as well where Jesus was. And so word had spread in this community that Jesus is back in town and he's beginning to draw a crowd. And word reaches a prominent man. It's a, the word is like a, 
a nobleman. We don't exactly know who he was. Uh, he's not given a name. We don't know if he was Jewish. We don't know if he was Gentile. We just know that he was a man of financial means and maybe had some responsibility and some power uh, attached to his, his title. Um, but he was somebody that um, was an upper, in, you know, an upper class. And again, we don't know if it was Jewish or Gentile. And so this man hears about Jesus. He has a toddler, a very young child that is sick and at the point of death. And so he makes a two-day journey to go and approach Jesus. And that's where uh, our text began this morning and, and we saw, heard and saw what uh, unfolded. And in today's text, we're looking at the character or nature of belief. The nature of belief. And I'm just going to give you right off the bat uh, three things that we see about the nature of belief. And we don't always see them in like a chronological order. We kind of see them all at once. And these are the three things that we see about the nature of belief. Uh, the first one is that belief is initiated by God. Belief is initiated by God. Secondly, belief is sustained and grown by God. And then lastly, belief is often grown in adversity and pain, not in our wins and successes. So in other words, belief is a, wor is a work that God initiates, that God accomplishes in us as a grace to us. And often it happens through our life experiences that we would consider painful. So where do we see this? Well, let's, let's dive into the text. Uh, we see a man that's desperate. We see a man that begs Jesus twice. Uh, and the second time he begs Jesus in verse 49, he says to Jesus, Sir, kind of like almost begging, Sir, please, uh, come down before my child dies. And the word that he uses, that word child, uh, doesn't just mean like generic child. It literally means little one, like little, like toddler, my little one. Jesus, please come before my little one dies. The clock is ticking on his son's life. And it's weird, right? Because Jesus seems more interested in giving like a little mini lecture to the guy. Uh, and he has no sense of urgency, no sense of urgency. You ever have that experience like when you go into the ER or something and you're like, I'm dying or something, you know, and then a doctor or a nurse just has seemingly no sense of urgency and it's how frustrating that is. I'm sure, that I, I, I don't know if I'm the only one that's ever experienced that, but if you have all been, been into a, a medical situation, it sometimes seems like they, have, they're, they are not worked up about this in the way that they should be. And that's, I'm sure, how this guy is feeling. It's, it's very confusing. Like, Jesus, quick, hurry. There's no time to spare. It's two days away. We've got to get there. We've got to leave right now. We've got to get back. My son is dying. And Jesus is like, oh, slow. Like, well, let's talk a little bit. Let me have a theological lecture with you here for a moment. And it's like, no. So this guy is desperate. And make no mistake, he has no faith right now. There's no faith in play. It's pure desperation. Uh, he wasn't believing in Jesus as God um, in this moment. Now, he would have been familiar with the Old Testament, whether he was a Jew or Gentile living in Galilee. He would have been familiar with Moses and the prophets. 
he would have been familiar with this idea that there would have been men who had had the power of God and could perform miraculous things through the power of God. He would have been aware of all of those things. And so at worst, he was maybe looking at Jesus as some kind of magician that had somehow tapped into the ether and had some sort of weird ability to like heal or do miraculous things at worst. At best, he would have thought, well, maybe Jesus is a prophet. You know, maybe Jesus is like Moses or one of the prophets and he's able to tap into this power of God and he might be able to do something. But he really isn't believing in Jesus and he doesn't really care who Jesus is as long as Jesus heals his son. And by the way, can we really fault the guy in that? Um, When you have a child that is dying, it brings out a kind of desperation in you. Your whole life in an instant becomes fixated on saving the life of your child. This guy has tunnel vision. Save my son. And after this guy asks Jesus to heal his son, Jesus' answer is just confusing. It's rude or it's short or it's mean-spirited. Jesus says to him in verse 48, unless, and it says that Jesus says to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, this is a fascinating uh, verse in this text because it says that Jesus said this to him, but the you that Jesus used was a plural you. So Jesus says to the man, unless all of you see signs and wonders, all of you will never believe. And the word, by the way, some of your translations say will not believe, and some of your translations will say, like a future tense, will never believe. And that's a, that's a more accurate than never believe is more accurate. So Jesus turns to the man and says to the man, after this man has just said, can you please come with me to save the life of my son? Jesus says, you know, one of the things I've noticed about all of you is that um, unless you see signs and wonders, you will never believe. You'll never believe. And this is confusing uh, because it's like, wait a second, Jesus. Isn't this the whole point of the Gospel of John? Isn't this what John is writing about? I thought the reason why you were doing these signs and the reason why John is writing about these signs is so that they believe. And it's like, exactly, exactly. Um, we can read into this text, I think incorrectly, that Jesus is somehow kind of upset about having to do miracles, which makes no sense because Jesus just performed miracle after miracle after miracle. In fact, the Gospels tell us that Jesus did way more miracles than they even wrote down, than they even recorded. So Jesus is going around and he's, he's healing people. He's doing signs and wonders. Jesus isn't upset that people want to see a sign Jesus isn't like complaining about healing children. That's not what's going on here. What Jesus is highlighting for this man and for us 
is that even in this man's desperation, in this man's most desperate moment, this man's most desperate moment, Jesus still has to initiate belief. Jesus still has to do a work. Jesus still has to do something to initiate belief. Even when we are in our most desperate place, Jesus has to initiate. Jesus is saying, hey, without me doing a work for you all, without me doing a sign, without me doing a wonder, without me initiating to you all, even when you're at your most desperate place, you would never believe. I have to initiate. So that's the first thing that we see about belief, that that God initiates belief. Notice how Jesus forces this guy then to channel his desperation into a seed of belief. Because the guy says, Jesus, come, come with me to save my son. Right? This guy's thinking like Moses and the prophets. Okay, when they were present, when Moses and the prophets were present and they were tapped into the power of God, things happened. Like Elijah, when he was there, he, he called down fire from the heavens. You know, and when Moses was there in the presence of Pharaoh, he did these miraculous things. So Jesus, if you come with me and are present with me, you know, this, then my son might be saved. And Jesus in verse 50 essentially says, no, you go. I want you to take your desperation and channel it into belief. Believe me, it's done. Your son's healed, go. And in other words, what Jesus is saying is, you believe I'm like Moses and the prophets, and I'm telling you I'm better than Moses and the prophets. I'm not Elijah, I'm not Moses, I'm the prophets, I'm God. And I'm asking you to believe that I will accomplish and do something that no human being, no prophet, no Moses, no Elijah has ever done. I'm asking you to believe that I'm better than all of them, that in fact, I'm God. That's what Jesus is initiating with this guy. Oh, no, 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 no. You have to believe, sir, that I am above anybody else who has ever lived. And so Jesus asks this man to believe him and to go home and that his son would be healed. And it says that the man believed. It says that the man believed and he, and he went, went home. End of story, we can just call it, right? Not, not entirely. It tells us some additional things that unfold that reveal to us that this man's belief was just a seed of belief and it was probably just enough for him to leave Jesus alone, but not enough to really sustain him. His belief was probably riddled with doubts, as we will see. In verse 51, while he's still on his way home, it's a couple day journey, he's still on his way home, some of his servants meet him on the road heading towards him. And they tell him, hey, your son is recovering. He's getting better. And, and so this guy, we begin to see that there was probably some doubts there's, he wasn't maybe as sure as the, the belief, you know, wasn't, belief isn't like a switch. It's not like zero or 100%. It's, 
it's, it's a gradient because we, we begin to see that he begins to flesh out and wrestle with belief because he begins to investigate and interrogate them. Like, wait a second. Okay, when, when did he get better? When did he get better? Notice that he doesn't say when they say, hey, your son is getting better. He didn't say, oh, yeah. I mean, I was talking with Jesus and I was coming to tell you guys that everything is going to be fine. You know? No. He begins to say, really? Really? Okay, well, when was that? Oh, wow. That was the, so he started getting better at the same time that Jesus had told me to go home, that it was going to be okay. And then after he has a conversation with the servants and he's investigated and interrogated the, the facts and the details, what does it say in verse 53? It says, again, that he believed. Well, wait a second. I thought he already believed. Why is it saying he's believing again in verse 53? This is the thing that John is doing over and over and over again. It talks about, oh, Jesus' disciples believed. And then it'll say later on, John will be like, and then his disciples believed. And it's like, well, wait a second. What is going on? Why is John continually using this idea of they believed here and then later on he says they believed again? John uses this method over and over and over again to show us that belief, again, isn't a light switch, it's a gradient, okay? And that there can be belief and then there can be deeper belief and there can be deeper belief and deeper belief and deeper belief. And what, what John is showing us here is that his initial belief was just probably riddled with doubts and insecurity, not real, solid belief. And it's not until he hears um, the news from his servants and he wrestles with it some more that he has even greater belief. And so we begin to see now that Jesus not only had to initiate belief in this guy, but Jesus had to sustain the belief and grow the belief in this man. And what Jesus is showing this man, and I think all of us, is that ultimately it's not about how flawless and how perfect your belief is. It's about how flawless and perfect the object of your belief is. Right? Your belief, it's, it's not about whether or not you've done it right. It's about Christ, right? It's about Christ. And um, this guy can have a belief that is riddled with doubts and his son is still healed because ultimately this, his son's healing wasn't about whether or not he had good belief. It was about whether or not Jesus is who he says he is. Even in belief... Even in your belief, it's about grace. It is never about your works or the merits of how well you believe. It's about the object of your belief. Let me illustrate it this way. Um, I've taken a few flight lessons, okay? I've flown a nice little Cessna 172 four-seater aircraft all by myself, completely comfortable, in fact, right now we could drive down, I could hop in one of a, a Cessna C-172 and take that up for a spin, it'd be a lot of fun. We'd have a great time. So, okay, now that you know that, 
Let's suppose that all of us here are on a Boeing 737 MAX, okay? And something weird happened that would never happen in real life, like a plug door would fly off of the thing in the middle of the flight, okay? Some of you have read the news, right? And uh, let's suppose that in the middle of that catastrophe, we're all together on this 737 MAX. I say to all of you, don't worry. Don't worry. I've got it. I'm going to head up to the cockpit. I'm going to land this plane. You all are safe. How many believe that you would be safe with me flying the airplane? Oh, I see a couple of hands. <laughs> Well, let me say this. I'm fairly confident that no matter if 100% of you believed 100% of the way that I could land the airplane, we would all die, okay? We would all die. We would all perish because it's not ultimately about your belief. It would be about the object of your belief and whether or not that object can follow through. But what about this? What if we were in that exact same scenario and Pastor Brandon who flies commercial jets for a living, was to say, nobody worry, I'll take the controls, I've got this. How many believe that we would be okay in that scenario? A lot more, right? A lot more, okay? Now, and the reason why it's a lot more is because we all intuit that it's ultimately not really about how well or not well we believe. It's about the object of our belief. When you contrast me versus Pastor Brandon, one of us is a good object to put that faith into when it comes to uh, you know, an incident in the air. Another one of us, not so much. And that's kind of what we're seeing here. The strength of your faith, the strength of your belief is irrelevant. It's the object of your faith that matters. Now, maybe you're in a place where you're wrestling with faith, you're wrestling with doubts, um, and, you're, and maybe you're like me, where I've gone through seasons of my life where I've thought to myself, particularly when I was a lot younger, um, and just in total transparency, um, my Christian walk has been one where it's, it's like a yo-yo. I mean, I feel like sometimes I'm like, oh, my belief is strong. And then like a week later, I'm like, oh, do I believe, should I even be a pastor? Like, I don't know if I believe and, um, or right. And I'm, you know, and, and just plagued constantly with doubts and with wrestling with, with God. Um, you know, I feel like Jacob sometimes. Jacob wrestles with God and God gives him a new name, Israel, which means to wrestle with God. Right? That's God calls his people Israel, the, pe the ones who wrestle with God. There's almost like this implied uh, perspective as if you're going to be one of God's chosen ones, you, you wrestle with that. Uh, the, you, know, you, you wrestle with God in that. And, and one of the things that I've wrestled with is, am I believing right? Did I believe right? Did I, you know, did I say that prayer right? Did I, did I repent right? Am I sure that I'm a Christian? You know, the Bible says that even the, the demons believe and shudder, but they don't have salvation. So do I, am I just, do I just kind of believe it to be true, but I don't really have like a saving belief? Am I believing right? 
Have I done it? Yes, yes, I know that it's by grace that we're saved, except for the belief part, right? Like that I've got to get right at the very least. Like all the other, it might not be by my works, but I've got to get the belief part perfect or else I'm not a Christian, right? And this is a sermon, I think, that is more about you and I coming to an awareness of what Jesus is doing for you and in you through belief as a grace to you as opposed to anything that you have to do. Let me illustrate it this way. Um, belief is kind of like learning to swim. You're right. Stick with me. Okay. At least how my kids learned to swim. I've taught, um, I've got three kids. I've taught the two oldest ones how to swim. And Daniel, I'm still, it's still on our bucket list. Daniel and I are going to learn how to swim this year. Uh, he's going to learn. But I've taught, my, I've, I've taught a couple of my um, older kids to swim. And there's this amazing parallel between the way that I think that they've learned how to swim and, and our belief. And here's, here's how I taught my kids to swim. I would say, okay, you got to take off the, the little life vest, the little floaty things, right? No, no aids. You got to take all of that stuff off. Like, oh, I'm scared. I'm uncomfortable. I know. I know. You got to take all those things that were secure securities to you before. You got to take those off. Okay. So now it's just you in the water. And so I'd bring them into the water that would be kind of over their head and I'd be holding them up. And I would say, okay, do you remember how I taught you to, how to move your arms? Yeah. Okay. Remember how I taught you to kick your feet? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to hold you like this, okay, in the water. You're going to be like this. And I'm going to support you. And you're going to move your arms and kick your legs. And you are going to swim. I don't think I can. No, don't worry. Don't worry. I've got you. You're going to swim. Okay. And so they begin to flail their little arms and kick their feet, and I'm holding them, and they're, they're trying to move this way, and so they're just kind of, you know, smacking the water with their hands and feet, and I'll just kind of hold them across like this, support them like this, holding their little bodies in the water, right? And what, what does a child inevitably do? I'm swimming! I'm swimming! Yeah, Dad, look at me, I'm swimming. And it's like, okay, well, are they swimming? Yeah, I mean, sure, not totally. I'm sustaining them the entire time, right? I'm holding them out like this. They are swimming, but they're being sustained by their father. And, you know, one day is coming for my son, Daniel, uh, where um, swimming will be realized for him. He will swim. But until that day comes, you know, it's, it's this right here. I'm sustaining him. And that's belief. That's belief. We flail around in our belief, riddled and plagued with doubts and sin. And we say, we believe, I believe, I believe. And the entire time, I, I kind of think God chuckles because it's like, here he is sustaining us the entire time while we're flailing around in our belief. Because if we were expected to sustain ourselves in our belief, we would all drown in the depths. 
We're sustained in our belief by the arms of a gracious Father who's underneath us and supporting us the entire time. And someday, hopefully soon, in the same way that my kids have had their swimming realized and they can swim, someday, hopefully soon, our faith will be sight. It will be realized. But until then, we believe, and that belief is initiated and sustained and grown by God. Um, But here's the other thing about learning to swim. Um, And we all know this because we've all been in pool water before or ocean water and and tried to swim. And, uh, And that is that, you know, when we learn to swim... Um, sometimes we take on some water. <laughs> you know, I've drank a few gallons of pool water in my lifetime of swimming. Um, learning to swim, you definitely take on some water. And it's not a very, it's, it's not through comfort, it's not through ease um, that you learn to swim, right? It's, it's through sometimes some frustration. And um, the same thing is true about belief. Uh, When we look at this text here today, we see that the belief that Jesus initiates and grows in this man is done through possibly the most desperate place in this man's life. This man has never had more anxiety, more stress, more pain, more suffering. And Jesus is using that as an opportunity to grow this guy in his faith, in his belief. Can you imagine how that guy, put yourselves into this man's shoes for a second. Imagine what that first day walking back home would have felt like. I mean, I'm sure he was thinking, I am such an idiot. I'm walking home alone. That guru guy isn't coming back with me. And there's no way that my son's healed. No one has ever done what that guy said he was going to do, where he just was going to heal my son like telepathically like that over 20, 30 miles distance. No one has ever done that. Only God could do that. I'm such an idiot for believing that. Instead of spending the last days with my son, I went on a two-day journey, and I might never get to see my son again. He's he's probably dead. That Jesus guy is probably a sham. What am I going to say to my wife, to the rest of my family? I'm sure that that day walking back was ulcer-inducing. The same is often true in our collective experience as we are grown in our faith and in our belief. Um, It's often through the hardships of life that our faith is grown and sustained, not through the best parts of life. Um, kind of like humility, you know? Like, does anybody ever pray the prayer? Like, Lord, I hope this year that you grow me in humility in ways that, that just cannot, cannot be fathomed. I hope that you crush me this year and, and just wreck my life and humble me, Lord. Do that this year. Does anybody pray that? I mean, maybe some of you are better. I'm like, Lord, I think I've learned all the humility I need to learn in life. Thank you for the lessons of humility that you've taught me, right? Um, Belief is often the same way. Like, Lord, enrich my faith. Give me a belief that, that, you know, sustains the 
um, the onslaught of the world. And it's like, oh, are you sure? You sure? Because that's going to come through hardship, through pain. That's how, that's the nature of belief is that it can be painful. Uh, This guy would have never have chosen for things to unfold like they did. He just wanted Jesus to come heal his son. That's all he wanted. But Jesus loved him too much. And Jesus wanted to provoke something in him that was more than just a physical healing for his son, but he wanted uh, to initiate spiritual healing and belief. And that work is painful work. Uh, you know, when I, when I look at the, the rest of the scriptures, we see that. Um, the scriptures show us case after case after case of people whose faith was grown through terrible circumstances. And when I look on an anecdotal level, just at our church, you know, and I look at a church now of people that have been Christians for 10, 20, 30, 40 years in some cases, um, the people that have a faith that has sustained that long, go talk to them and I guarantee you that they will say that the faith that they have built up over the decades was born out of trial, not through mountaintop experiences. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9 tells us this. It'll be on the screen for us all. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9. This is what... uh, We find here it says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, unless it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, You love him, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There it is again. God is saying, I'm going to use grief, I'm going to use pain, trials of fire um, to shore up your belief. So, what is there for us to do? Um, to swim, to believe, or to, like in the same way that my kids swim, we're all invited to believe. And what I mean by that is to show up, to wrestle with God, to flail around, to swing our arms and kick our legs, to lean into the messiness of following Jesus, knowing that He initiates it, he sustains it, and he grows it. Um, You know, uh, I've been here now since December of 2007. And when I was reflecting this week on, um, like I was 28 years old uh, when we came to this church. And the funny thing about it is is that, um, you know, I was considered old, like old in the church at that time. Um, I felt pretty good because like Kyle was like a couple years ahead of me. So I'm like, well, at least I'm not the oldest one here. You know, there's somebody else who's really super old. They're 30, you know? Um, And so now as we are aging as a church, uh, which is good, it's good to see some gray hair. 
Um, and we've got people now in their 30s, gasp, and 40s, and 50s, and 60s, and, I, you know, and, and so on. Um, it's wonderful. But here's, here's, the, here's the thing about, as I reflected on this progression and perspective that I've had, have had of our church, um, I had kind of imagined, I know this is going to sound weird, but like in the initial stages of our church, it was kind of like, we're going to build this Christian utopia. We're going to build a church that's unlike any other church ever seen. All the other churches throughout all of time and history have gotten it wrong, but we are going to get it right, you know? And we're going to have the perfect little Christian church, and I've got my perfect little Christian wife, and we're going to have perfect little Christian kids, and, um, you know, and we're going to have our perfect Christian music and our Christian movies and our Christian art, and you slap Christian on anything, and it's wonderful. Yay, right? And that's kind of like this. We had envisioned for ourselves this Christian Hallmark movie kind of life. And what we see in a text like this here today is that maybe all of that was idolatry. All of it. We were looking for the sign and not the Savior, the gift and not the giver. And Jesus loves us too much to let us have a hallmark Christian life. That's not, he's not here to give us just a hallmark Christian life. He's here to give us himself, relationship with him. Jesus loves us in the same way that he loves this man too much to just give us the sign and not the Savior. And I think sometimes we try to construct a faith that is about all of the blessings that come with being a Christian. And, and they are blessings, they are gifts, they're signs. But ultimately, what belief is, should be propelling us towards isn't a celebration of the signs and a celebration of the gifts, but is a celebration of a relationship with a, with a God, with a Jesus, that by his grace gives us that belief and sustains it from beginning to end. Salvation belongs to the Lord, A to Z. It's not earned, it's not merited. And we're going to close this week by looking at another sign, a sacrament, communion, that has been given to us. And again, this is a sign that it's not about our work. We just receive it. We just get it free, given to us. And it's the sign of, it's, it's communion where Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body broken for you. And it points us to the cross where his body was broken for us. And we look to the sign of the cup where Jesus said, this represents my blood which is shed for you. And this is a sign that we participate in every week where we take a piece of the bread and we dip it in the wine or, the, or juice as your conscience permits. And it points us to not the gift, but the giver. We're to do this in remembrance of him. Like the celebration of heaven isn't heaven. It's Christ. And that is what our belief pushes and propels us to. And so in a moment, you're going to be invited to come. If you're a Christian, uh, you don't have to be a member of this church. 
You just have to be a Christian. You can participate in this and you can take a piece of the bread and dip it in the wine or the juice. Um, If you're not a Christian, if you're still in a place where you're not sure about your belief, I would love to have a conversation with you. Um, or if you're just, or if you're just struggling and wrestling with something in life, uh, I would also like to talk with you. All of the uh, pastors were going to be in this side room over here, and uh, for the duration of the service, and you can come talk to one of us. We would be happy to talk with you and pray with you. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pray. The band is going to come up. They're going to play. There will be people that will be serving communion at this station over here, this station over here. There is a gluten-free option. If you have a, a, a gluten uh, tol- or intolerance, you can go over on this side here. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and you'll be invited to come forward and participate in a gift that points us to the giver in the same way that he has given us and gifted us and graced us with belief. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus. He is the ultimate sign. And we thank you that he loves us enough to provoke in us, even in our pain and in our suffering, to provoke in us a belief that leads to, as we saw in 1 Peter, the salvation of our souls. And Lord, help us to have the eyes to see the grace that you're accomplishing in us. So often we try to exchange that for the sign, for the gift. Lord, help us be drawn to you and to cherish you above the sign. Lord, we thank you for initiating uh, belief in us sustaining that belief in us as, as children who are learning to swim. And, um, and Lord, I pray that you continue to sustain that belief in us until our faith is sight. Thank you again for sending your son, Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Learn more about our church and support by giving to the Mission of the Oaks at www.theoakscommunitychurch.org.